All right, 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Appreciate the message in song. Build your life upon the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the storms will come, and, but you've got a solid foundation. Everybody hear that message in song? It's awesome. Thank you. 1 <clears throat> Samuel 17. We'll get started here tonight. 1 Samuel 17. Last time uh, we were together in the book of 1 Samuel, as we were considering when a nation needs revival, uh, we were considering how that God did not allow Saul to enjoy his stage of being unrepentant. And so he sent an evil spirit that troubled Saul. And, and really, when we uh, looked into it and considered it, and really there's that contrast that's drawn there between Saul and David. Saul was spiritually troubled really because his choices put him there. His own choices uh, put him in a place of being oppressed or of being oppressed rather than being blessed. And isn't that still true today that it's our choices? And, and so God was not going to allow him to make those choices, nor will he allow us to make choices and then to just enjoy life without, uh, without him. I, I believe that he lovingly corrects us to get our attention and to help us even there. So we consider that. But then also we saw that David was brought in to stand before Saul and, and to play uh, music like we heard, no doubt, tonight. And it was soothing to Saul. But you know, really the music wasn't the solution that Saul needed. It was only a temporary fix in Saul's life. Um, what he really needed was a right relationship with God. Even though he couldn't continue being king, he could have a right relationship with God. And so that's where we left off. So with that, that being said, let's look now at 1 Samuel 17 and verse number 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth, notice this, this is very important, which belongeth to who? To Judah, okay? So they're gathered in the territory of Judah. So they're gathered there at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah. Don't miss that. Which belongeth to Judah. And pitched between Shoko and Azekah and Ephesdamon and Saul and the, and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines, which just basically means this, the battle lines were drawn. They were not engaged in battle. We'll see that here in just a moment. The, but that, I'm sorry, but the battle lines were drawn. Verse three. <clears throat> and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went up out of, and there went up out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat of, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves upon of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. So obviously he was well, well defended. In fact, the only real vulnerable spot was right between the eyes. But that'll do. All right, let's pick back up the reading now in verse number seven. And the staff 
of his spear was, a, was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set the battle in array? Am, am not I a Philistine? And ye the servants to Saul? That's significant right there, isn't it? Am I not a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. Yeah, right. Didn't quite turn out that way, did it? They didn't uphold their end of that. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All right, let's drop down to verse 23 and 25. Would you, would you mind just a little bit more reading here? And it says, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. By the way, he'd done this 40 days. And David heard them and all the Israel, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. Okay, now let's go to 32, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. All right, verse 41. Verse 41. This is a long chapter, isn't it? A lot here. Verse 41. <clears throat> and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, little g. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. We'll stop our reading there. All right. Well, that was a positive note on the end on, wasn't it? <laughs> All right, here's the title tonight. Facing a formidable foe. Facing a formidable foe. God, we want to pray one more time that you'd help us. As I think about this text and I think about uh, where we are in our journey and in our situation, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, because um, today... While the Philistines, in the sense of what we're reading, uh, Lord, have passed off the scene, we would see conflict in Israel that would be ongoing and descendants of the Philistines. So that, that continues. But living here in the United States of America and try to, trying to raise families right here and trying to live a Christian life and, 
endeavoring, dear God, to have church that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we know that we face many foes and ultimately an enemy in Satan, your adversary. So we pray for your help because we know we're no match. And so I pray that you bless this message now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I believe it's obvious that the uh, writer here wants us to pay particular attention to this account, don't you? Can you see that? Um, I mean, just, just the length, the sheer length of the material indicates that he wants us to pay attention. God wants us to pay attention to this. 912 Hebrew words. I didn't count them. I'm going by what one individual pointed out. 912 Hebrew words. It's a, it's a lengthy chapter, uh, more quotations in it than any other part of, of 1 Samuel. More description uh, about the armor than any other military passage. You know, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, but I mean more, more uh, content, more description. So it's obvious that the writer here is saying, listen, you need to pay attention to this and it must be for a particular reason. Now, we, we don't know exactly how much time has passed between chapter 16 and chapter 17. Uh, last we knew, David was in Saul's presence uh, playing the harp and helping to soothe the, him in the times when the evil spirit would come upon Saul. Evidently, uh, it wasn't always that way. So Saul, David evidently obviously went home. Uh, but we do know this, David is still a young man. He's still a youth uh, by what Goliath said. Am I a dog that that you'd come before me. I mean, you're just, a, you're just a young man. You're just a youth. So he disdained uh, David. And so, uh, but as, you, as we get to the end of it, then Saul's not going to recognize David. So that's a little weird to us, you know, because you think, well, I mean, you're around David a lot. Why, why did you not recognize him? So evidently it's enough time for David to grow up a little bit. Now, once, once young men hit some of those growth spurts, I think we can all understand that. You know, when some come back, you're like, whoa, who's that? Who's that? Who's that young man? You know, he went from being, you know, 14 to being 16, and there's a big change, you know, right there. So I don't know exactly all the circumstances. I'm just reading the Bible like you are and following along. And so, in any case, uh, it's, it's obvious that Israel at this point, I mean, they faced the Philistines before, and they've been intimidated before by the armies that have come against them. But I'm, I'm telling you, given what we've read here, it's obvious that this one man locked them down in fear. For 40 days, he taunted uh, the people of Israel and, and said, send me a man that we may fight. I mean, 40 days, according to verse number 16, just day after day, and, and they were locked down in fear. And so the word uh, formidable, formidable, however you're accustomed to saying that. It's, I looked it up, but you can say it both ways. I'll probably say it both ways. But anyways, uh, if, it's, if it's formidable, then it's, it's causing fear, it's apprehension or dread, discouraging of awesome strength, size. Here's a word, intimidating. I mean, it's obvious as this man stood there and, and was looking for a one-on-one -on -one fight to the death combat situation, he was intimidating to all of the Israelites, including Saul. 
who was head and shoulders above all the Israelites. Now, when you, when you do some of the studies, we're going to get into some of the height here about, you know, uh, Goliath and so forth. But the typical Israelite, you know, wasn't very tall, maybe five, seven, five, eight, five, ten, somewhere right in there. Saul, uh, Saul may have been six foot, six foot two, three, somewhere right in there. So he was head and shoulders above most of the Israelites. But I'm telling you here, based on the text, he's totally intimidated by this Goliath. By the way, I hadn't really thought about this, but Jonathan is also in that mix. As far as we know, now I, I don't know if, if Jonathan's on some other mission or some other errand. I, I, I don't know. Sil scripture is silent there, so I'm not going to make a big deal about that. But the army is gathered together and, and Jonathan had been in that army. In fact, we know that Jonathan is a man of courage. I'm just simply saying here that, that the circumstances were such that this man, Goliath, was intimidating to them both in his size as well as in his speech. He's a part of a group that was opposed to the people of God. I mean, the, the Philistines are the arch rivals, you know, of, of the Israelites. And, and so he's opposing them. And, and so now the Philistines, I mean, we... We dealt with them, you know, back in chapter uh, 13 and 14. And so they had, they had battles there. In fact, I love, I love Jonathan. To me, he's like, he's like uh, in fact, David and Jonathan are much like a Joshua and a Caleb, you know, that, I mean, uh, jo Jonathan said, you know, uh, the Lord is in this and then we'll take these Philistines. And so they did. I mean, that God gave them an incredible uh, victory there and, and they were on the run. In fact, maybe we wouldn't be facing a chapter 17 had Saul been where Saul should have been spiritually. Just thought about that as we were getting ready in the service and, and so forth. But, but here they are facing this same foe again, and, and he's, they have invaded the territory. They're about eight miles east of Gath, and about 15, some say a little bit less than that from Bethlehem. The, the actual location is, is uh, you know, debated and such. But anyways, just a little bit west of Bethlehem, the hometown of, of David. So they, the main point here that we're to get right off the bat is that they were gathered in a place called Shoko, which belong, which belongeth to Judah and, and the Philistines did not care. They did not care that God almighty had given them that land. They didn't care about that. Nor do many modern Groups care that God has given Israel to Israel in this day and time. Whether it's the Arabs or groups surrounding there, then they don't, they don't care what God's word has said. The enemy of God wants to take that which belongs to the people of God. They are on opposing sides. You can, you can see them as the battle lines are drawn and, and you have on the, on the west side, the Philistines and, and on the east side, the children of Israel, uh, the armies of the living God, by the way, that's how David referred to them, the armies of the living God. And so they're on the east side and, and the Philistines are on the, on the west side. And in fact, I like how one individual said it, two camps uh, geographically separated by a dry riverbed, but separating the Israelites from the Philistines psychologically was a chasm of fear. How tall was Goliath? That's a good question. How tall was Goliath? Some say, uh, some say eight, eight foot ten. Uh, some say nine foot, over nine foot. I'm going to go with nine foot nine. Nine foot nine. I believe that would be the accurate um, height of Goliath. 
I mean, just think about that. About three inches short of being as tall as a basketball goal. You say, impossible. All right, well, Robert uh, Pershing Wadlow was born in Altus, or sorry, Alton, Illinois, near St. Louis in 1918. He died in 1940. He stood eight foot 11. Look it up when you get a chance. Not right now. Look it up when you get a chance. Incredible, the pictures of this man they called, you know, the giant of Alton and, and, or the giant of Illinois. His shoe size, 37. 37. Daniel, what do you wear? What do you, what do you wear? I know you've got a big foot. Uh, Daniel? 13. Okay. So Daniel Smith wearing size 13. How old are you? 14. Okay. How about that? Mercy. Size 37. Can you imagine these boats? At, listen to this. At age eight, Robert, um, at age eight, he was taller than his father who was five foot 11. His dad was five foot 11 at age eight. He's taller than his dad. Now the tallest man living today, if he's still living, uh, Sultan uh, Caution of Turkish descent is eight foot three. And uh, he also is massive, but he only has a shoe size of 22. So anyways, not as impressive. I mean, just think about this. Here, here it is. They're out here in this battlefield and this nine foot nine giant is on the field and he's saying, send me a man that we may fight. And he's got on this helmet of brass. All right. And that wasn't typical. I mean, not all the Philistines would have had, you know, helmets of brass. That, that was not a typical battle stance. And, and certainly compared to the Israelites who just wore basically normal clothing. Do you remember back in chapter 13 that only Saul and David, David had a sword? So, I mean, when you see this man, he's got the, a helmet of brass, a coat of mail that weighed about 125 pounds. How much you weigh, Bradley? I don't, you don't know. Anyways, just imagine 125 pounds, you know, that's there that you're wearing as, a, as protecting your chest. And then he's got, uh, you know, the, the greaves there that are protecting his knees and his shin. And, and, and then he's got this, this beam, this, this javelin, and the point on it is made of iron, and it weighs 15 pounds. I mean, that alone is intimidating. And then the target of brass behind him, and, and some say maybe even a, 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 a curved sword on his back. I mean, I mean, this man, just, just the very sight of him would have been intimidating. His size and his weaponry and, and his, his armor bearer there, the, the man that goes before him. I don't think he had a little shield. I think he had the big rectangular shield, you know. And, and so he's got it all. And he's saying to, to Israel, send me a man that we may fight. And if, if we defeat you, then you'll be our servants. But if you defeat me then we'll be your servants. I'm listening uh, to Brother Sam's sermon. Actually, I'm just a little bit halfway through. He called this particular passage uh, or this, this uh, particular message on Goliath the, the consummate cheater. There's really more about Satan. The consummate cheater. I mean, really, you think about it. He had the odds totally stacked in his favor by his size. I mean, really, it was not fair. But I'm telling you, folks, listen, Satan doesn't care what's fair. And here is, here is uh, Goliath, and, and he's not caring about David 
being a youth. He didn't say, look, I, I, didn't really mean to, I didn't really mean to ask the boys to come out to fight. He didn't say that. He, he didn't say, listen, gentlemen, this wouldn't be fair. Let's rethink this thing. Send, send a man. Remember I said, send me a man, not a boy, right? What, what's his name? Goliath. He disdained him. He said, I'll feed your flesh to the birds, to the fowl of the air. And I just want to say to the young people, listen, Satan doesn't care that you're a young man and that you don't understand. He doesn't care that you're a young lady, young lady. He doesn't care uh, that you've grown up in church. He doesn't care what your name is. He, he doesn't care how long you've been in Patch and Pee Wee and, and in the youth ministry. Hey, listen, he wants to destroy your life before it even really gets started. He doesn't play fair. Satan doesn't play fair. And that's exactly how Goliath was working here. And so his, his size was superior. His weaponry was superior. And then his speech, I mean, he's, he's speaking against them with, with very rough speech. And, and he refers to them in a certain way. He says, am not, am not I a Philistine and ye the servants of Saul? Well, actually they were the they were the armies of the living God. But he refers to them as the servants of Saul. And, and you know what they said? That's right. Nothing. Silence. And we, and we read all that he, that he said as he's intimidating them. And, and we saw that they were dismayed and greatly afraid and in fear. And he's in open defiance to their God. He's cursing their God. He's, he's promoting his gods. I, I mean, you, you think, you think you'd get a renegade soldier over here in Israel who, who would just pipe up and say, oh yeah. <laughs> and then like point at his buddy that said that, but there's not even a, oh Yeah. There's nothing, there's absolute silence. They cowered in fear, basically for these two reasons. His size and his speech. His size and his speech. But, but wait a minute, I, that's how I wrote it down the first try. They cowered in fear. Why, why were they locked down in fear? Why were they so fearful? Well, it was because of his size, don't you know? He was so much taller than they. And, and he was so much better outfitted than they. And, and he was of such greater military experience than they. He was, a, he was a military man from his youth. I mean, no doubt this wasn't his first fight. No, it wasn't probably his first fight. This was, by the way, I meant to mention this earlier. This wasn't typical for Israel because they, they would fight army against army. They hadn't seen this one man fighting another man's style of combat. They hadn't seen that, but no doubt Goliath had. And, and he had been, no, I would say, probably victorious. I can't prove that, but I would imagine that he would. And he has the lineage of the Anakims in his background, which Caleb and others fought against. And Othniel, the lion of, of God, you know, as he fought against them. But, but nonetheless, I mean, here's a man that's intimidated them because of his size and also because of his hateful and threatening speech 
and he cowered them down. But that wasn't the, that wasn't the full extent of it. They weren't cowering in fear because only of his size and because of his speech, but they were cowering in fear because they had forgotten God's size and God's speech unto them. If you could allow me to say it that way, you, you know what I mean by God's size. By that I mean they had lost sight of how great their God was. And they'd stopped listening to the word of God. And as a result of that, then they were silent when they should have been taking a stand. I'm just going to get right to it here tonight to say this. We cower in fear when we're intimidated by the size and speech of God's enemy, but that's not the full extent of it. We cower in fear, not because of the size of the enemy and because of the speech of the enemy, but because we've, we've lost sight of just how great our God is and how reliable his word is and what a firm foundation that we have in his word. And we don't have any reason to back down from any doctrinal position or any moral position, no matter how loud the enemy is that stands there and taunts you. You say, what are you talking about? Well, let me, let me, let me size up the modern day Goliaths because there's a lot of them. I mean, in fact, in, in many ways, I even thought about the list of the, uh, of the True Direction classes that we're, we're inviting or having here. Um, in many ways, even they represent what would be in opposition to us. You can't, you can't have a church that's separated unto God, the enemy would say. Hey, listen, man, times are changing. You better change too. There's a giant there. Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? And, and then uh, you can't handle grief. You won't make it through that. I mean, it really, there's even application there. And, and, and you, you think you're going to fight for purity and the power of grace? Hey, all men are involved in pornography. All men are, are wicked. All men are, are, are twisted in their minds that way. Hey, listen, just you think you're going to fight against that in society today? Yes, by the grace of God, you can. Society doesn't have to define how that you go about purity. In fact, it ought not to, gentlemen or ladies alike. You can't have a godly marriage in today's society. You won't make it to 70 years. You won't make it to 50. The Donahues are getting ready uh, to celebrate Brother Gary and Miss Linda Donahue this next week, celebrating 50 years of marriage. The Chevron's 70 years of marriage. But, but you know, many of you that are younger, maybe in marriage, you're hearing the enemy say, you're not going to make it. It's not even worth trying. It's already too messed up. You're too messed up. Hey, there's nobody that's too messed, that's messed up beyond God's ability. I realize things can get in a real mess. We just, you know, we went fishing here not too long ago. And man, if you've been out there and it doesn't matter how careful you are. You know what just happened right there? That line just got all bunched up. And it's all twisted around, you know, your rod and your reel and everything. And you think, good night, how did it get in this shape? Just in one cast, right? You'd think you'd had a plan on how to tie that thing together like that. My dad used to say, it's only got two ends to it. <laughs> you know, any line that was, he was a lineman, you know, so he'd say, any, any line, it's just got two ends to it. But boy, it sure seems like it has a lot more than just two ends to it. Yeah, and, and I get, I understand there's times when you have to cut the line, but listen, don't give up on your marriage. Respool it, right? Retool it, respool it, get it back on track. 
But the enemy is going to tell you, you can't have a godly marriage in this day and time. And, and, and you can't stand for pre-tribulation, pre-millennialism. You can't, you can't cover that in four weeks. <laughs> Thousands of years in four, <laughs> four weeks, right? I'm excited about that, Dr. Allison. You, you can't care for your aging parents. In fact, the latest edition of World Magazine is about, is about in our own culture, how that there's still this push just to get rid of those that are elderly and just let's help them in, in, in just assisting them to end their life. Women can't live without anxiety. It's just part of womanhood, some would say. And you owe it to yourself. I mean, all kinds of twisted thinking that gets into the minds of both men and women alike. And youth problems, dare we go there. Youth problems today. There's an enemy there. I'm saying tonight, Satan wants to take ground that rightfully belongs to God. Your marriage belongs to God. Don't let Satan take it. Fight for it. Fight for it. Your family belongs to God. I'm reading uh, through a book still. I haven't read it in a good little bit but by Erwin Lutzer, uh, we will not be silenced. And, and he says this, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to point out here that in our modern day and times, wealthy elitism, big government, liberal groups, corporations, media. Media is not just reflecting culture. Media is directing culture. And he asked the question, how did we get here? The secular left does not believe that America can be fixed. It must be destroyed. The secular left. Cultural Marxism is a big part of our day. The secular left's goal, he says, is a future in which everyone will be equal on their terms, the elite terms. Those who resist this utopian vision are to be vilified, bullied, and shamed until they admit to their mistakes of the past and embrace the secular left's great hope for the future. Take a moment to reflect on what has happened in America in the last 20 years. Consider increasing, the increasingly sexually explicit curriculum that's coming out in public schools. And you better not speak against it. Listen to the racial rhetoric of the self-appointed social justice warriors who are committed to inflaming racial division. Look at the new laws forcing Christian colleges to compromise their biblical stance about marriage and surrender to the LGBTQ agenda. Who would have ever believed, he goes on, who would have ever believed that the day would come when men would, would say they too can bear children? Or that drag queens would be allowed to read fairy tales to very young children in public libraries. This kind of sexualized thinking and behavior is spreading rapidly in a nation obsessed with its overblown emphasis on individual rights for a select few to the expense of others. I'm just going to read this, this next little part here. It's difficult to even have a real conversation on many of the social issues of the day, such as 
policies advocating unrestricted immigration and sweeping proposals to combat uh, climate change or issues regarding racism, to merely question the viewpoints of the secular left radicals on social issues is denounced as hateful, bigoted, and racist. We who are Christians are told that if we want to be known as good citizens, we should keep our antiquated views to ourselves. In other words, be quiet. Be quiet. To our shame, many are afraid of the secular left. We fear being misquoted by the press, vilified by the special interest groups, or threatened by the radicals. There's no joy in being called a racist, hateful, bigoted, homophobic, homophobic, or accused of imposing religious views on others. We, we don't like that, but that's what's going on today. And right at the heart of it is the destruction of the family. Because... Marxists have the mentality that, that wealth ought to be distributed by the government and, and that therefore we need to destroy the family and that it's not for families to raise children, it's for the government to raise children. And thus, the sexual revolution that's been taking place over the, next, the last several years and that is continuing to gain momentum is, is, is this. It's not just that we're supposed to tolerate, but we're supposed to celebrate that revolution. And then that which was once celebrated in traditional marriage between a man and a woman is, is to be condemned. And the use of technology is only accelerating the speed of that. And thus, giants cry out, Am I not the future of America? And you're the servants. And they're telling you at your workplace, hey, keep your religious views to yourself. Keep your views of morality to yourself. They're telling our, our, our uh, coaches, you can't pray on the 50-yard line. Public settings. But it's not just those giants that we're facing today, though those certainly are some giants in our land that really, folks, we don't need to be intimidated by. Now, well, I think we ought to have a heart of compassion and stand with compassion, but nor should we be silent on matters of morality or matters of truth. And compassionately ought to stand to say what God has said and know that we are building on the rock. But giants also come in other forms. That's cultural giants that try to intimidate us. There's also other, other ways that the enemy is trying to take ground that doesn't belong to him. He'd like to rob you of your family time. He'd like to rob you of your purity. It seems like the giant of technology is too much to resist. Like it's just taken over. But then there's little giants, such as children, who dominate the battlefield in the home, who make parents feel like they're 
outdated if they don't let them watch what they want to watch or play what they want to play. Youthful giants who cry out, am, I not, am not I a teenager and you the servants of your American dream? And it can be overwhelming to parents to try to lead young people and you can be intimidated by your own kids. You don't have to be facing somebody that's nine foot nine. You could be facing somebody that's two foot three in Walmart that is intimidating a six foot tall or seven foot tall man and demanding that you would give in to his whims or her whims. Or some teenage girl says, why can't I wear this, dad? All the other girls are. And she becomes intimidating to you and you cower down and get back and say, oh, okay, okay. Are we to let the enemy overrun us and we lose morality and decency and modesty and the biblical way of life? Oh, listen, folks, I believe that it's time that we stand and say, listen, I want to stand for that which God stands for. And we're on firm ground right here. And we ought to do it with the right heart. I believe as David comes on the scene, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We're not just the servants of Saul. We're the armies of the living God. And, and who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Sure, he's, sure he's tall. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's big, but, but God is greater. Our God is greater. We don't have to be intimidated by culture. We don't have to be intimidated by the shifts. We don't have to be intimidated as a church to say, well, other churches are not even meeting on Sunday nights. Why were we here? Well, we're here because we desperately need to hear what God says. And we're here because we serve a great God. And, and we don't need to be intimidated by those who'd say, listen, if you don't get with the times, you're going to become obsolete. Church services still belong to God. Thus, we ought not come apathetically and, and just surrender what God has given us. No, listen, friends, I, I, listen, church, I believe there's things that God has, has called us in this, in this modern time to, to take a stand and to be the type of, the type of, uh, of leaders that we ought to be, the, be the type of church members we ought to be, the type of dads that we ought to be, the type of husbands that we ought to be, the type of moms and, and wives that we ought to be, and the, and the type of, of, of just uh, faithful Christian leaders and, and servants that we ought to be and, and say, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to be silent when, when our God is so much greater than whatever it is that we're facing. We're not going to give in. And thus, it's not so much that we need to reclaim America, though certainly that needs to be the case. But perhaps we ought to start right here. We ought to get back to being the type of church that God wants us to be. Yes, I'd love to see America come back to God, but how about just a revival across the land of churches being the type of churches that God wants us to be in and taking a stand and, and, and doing so compassionately and lovingly, but yet nonetheless a stand. It's sad how vocal unbelievers are oftentimes and believers are silent. What should we do? Well, we need to remember God's size and remember what God has said and not be intimidated by the size of the Goliath and the speech of the Goliath. 
Say, God, I know that you're greater. And I know that your word is greater. I, I know that many of you are facing some pressure. I've talked to some here in our own church family and they're facing, you're facing pressure in the corporate world to accept all the cultural changes that are coming down. Let God use you where you are. And, and compassionately take a stand. And to speak up for what's right. And, and let it begin, of course, in, in the homes uh, here of the members of Southwest Baptist Church. And say, you know, our family, we're going to serve the Lord. We're, we're not going to serve ourselves. We're not going to give in to all the whims and the ways of the world. Listen, we're, we're a family that's supposed to serve the Lord. And that's by the grace of God what we're going to do. And trust that God's way is the best way. And not be intimidated by a culture that is shouting us down and a woke culture that is, that is trying to get us to be quiet and silenced and, and not have any influence. No, listen, listen, folks, I know you know this, but we need to be reminded along the way that God has called us to be salt and light in this society. And we, we've been brought to this scene, I believe, at such a time as this, and that God can use us to have an impact on the people that we rub shoulders with day by day. And sometimes it comes in large ways, and sometimes it may just be that you make people think. And I appreciate, as I mentioned even this morning, that Brother Brian preached down in the sixth grade department that, it's, that God made it male and female and, and marriage is something that, and, and the physical intimacy is something that you need to wait on as a young man or as a young lady because God has a plan for your life. Don't let Satan take that ground. And sometimes it is intimidating. But God can do some great things. In fact, we're going to see it was the faith of David maybe a five foot five, five foot seven Jewish young man with no weaponry except just five smooth stones and he really only needed one that ignited the faith of the whole army of Israel. And it could be that God wants to use you to ignite the faith of those around you. Men, I, I want to challenge you here tonight. Be the men that God wants you to be in your home. Let's be the men that God wants us to be. Let's ask God to help us to, to stand and to lead in a loving way, but, but in a godly way. And wives be riding in there beside them because there, there's a whole culture around you that's trying to intimidate you and say, you know, you're, you're not important unless you, you're at a certain position. Oh, listen, God's put you in a great place of importance as a wife and as a mom first and primarily. And, and he can use you there to make a difference in somebody's life. Don't be intimidated by the culture that's trying to shout you down. Take a stand. Don't back down. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for what you did through the life of David and how that you used him to ignite a passion in, in the people around him. And I pray that you'd help, Lord, uh, all of us here tonight in a culture that is trying to intimidate and trying to cause us to back away from our biblical morals and a stand on absolute truth and even some that have accommodated that and just blended in with society and have stopped fighting the fight. God, I pray that you'd give us the right temperament in doing so, the right disposition. But God, I pray that you'd help us not to be silent. I pray that you'd help us to, to be courageous in Christ Jesus our Lord, to be strong 
in the power of His might. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here tonight.